established. Theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 140 extra Patreon episodes, which is a ton of extra hours for your listening pleasure. So to see this full list of past Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and you can click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There, you will see an entire list of past Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Cannibal Island, in which we talk about how in 1933, the Soviet Union sent thousands of individuals to an island who then became cannibals and how it was all covered up. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is about the electrical grid attacks. So how the episode will go today is that we're going to talk about what are electrical grids, which is just a really quick summary so you know what they are. And then uh, we're going to talk about the history of electrical grid attacks in the United States. And then we go over a list of some electrical grid attacks that have taken place that might sound boring, but honestly, I've never even heard of some of these before. Like, did you know in 2013, there was a team of military-trained individuals who attacked a electrical grid in California and did over, like, $15 million in damages? I did not. Yeah, I didn't hear about that either. I've only heard about the recent stuff. So, yeah, we're going to talk about all that good stuff, and then we're going to go into strange facts and findings, theories, and, of course, wrap everything up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So, with all that being said, let's get into today's episode. In April of 2013, a group of mysterious individuals, armed with multiple rifles, began shooting at an electrical substation. In just a short period of time, over 100 rounds of ammunition was dispersed into the electrical station, causing over $15 million in damages. An investigation ensued. However, years later, Federal officials still have no idea who perpetrated this bizarre attack on America's power grid. Since that attack in 2013, over 500 attacks on other electrical substations have occurred. 
including one that happened only a few days ago on Christmas Day. Who and why are these attacks taking place? Is it the CIA testing the United States' vulnerability to such attacks? Other countries attacking our power grid? The companies themselves doing it as a way to get grant money? Or perhaps it is being done as a cover-up for something more nefarious that is taking place behind closed doors? This is Electrical Grid Terror Attacks. All right. So to start this episode off, we're going to talk a little bit about what electrical grids are and how they work. Then we will get into all of the attacks that are happening around the United States that pretty much no one is talking about. Well, the most recent one they talked about that happened a few days ago on Christmas Day, but even then they just barely touched on it. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to dive deeper into those. But before we do, Dan, do you want to start this episode off today and tell us what electrical grids are? Absolutely. But just a FYI, I am feeling a little under the weather, so my voice may sound a little different. Just give him some slack, ladies and gentlemen. If you're like, Dan doesn't sound that good today. He's sick, okay? So yeah, just give him some slack. He's sick. Anyways, tell us what electrical grids are, Dan. All right. So an electrical grid is a very broad term, but to put it as simply as I can, it's basically a network of wires delivering electricity to homes. That is it in a nutshell. Now, we aren't going to go super deep into explaining the details of it. However, we need to know the basics of how it works so that we can understand the attacks that we're going to talk about. So, Aaron, can you give us a quick class over the basics of electrical grids? Of course I can. All right. So, everybody, welcome to Aaron's class, okay? Sit down and shut the fuck up. Okay. Front and center, Dan. That's what I like to see. Everybody take notice. All right. So, to start this lesson off today, we need to know what produces electricity, such as coal plants, gas plants, nuclear plants, etc. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about how these electrical plants make electricity, because honestly, that's going to take a really long time, and it's kind of boring, and we don't really have time to explain that. However, just know that there's these places that make electricity, okay? Now, this electricity needs to be delivered to its customers customers being us, right, in our homes. Now, there are a few ways that they can do this. One of the ways is that they can store this electricity and then bring it to the homes of the individuals purchasing it. However, storing electricity is really difficult to do cheaply and it is inefficient. So that way of delivering electricity is rarely done. Now, Dan, what is another way electricity can be delivered? You could beam it to customers through the air like, zzz, like Zeus over there. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you could do that. But what would be the issue with delivering electricity through the air? Well, just like storing it, transmitting electricity through the air is inefficient, and it is super hard to do without losing a lot of it through transmission. That is correct. You're so smart. Anyways, so the other way we can deliver electricity is using wires mounted on poles and pylons, which initially, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, right? You have to build these poles, you have to put them in the ground, you got to run wires to all these homes. However, surprisingly, it is the cheapest and easiest way currently to deliver electricity. So that is sort of what we currently do. Now, the electricity that is coming straight from the power plant needs to travel long distances. And for this to happen, 
there is a transformer that steps up the voltage of the electricity, basically like increasing it. And the reason that it increases the electricity voltage is so the electricity can travel long distances, okay? So these transmission lines then carry this electricity long distances, and then it goes to a substation. Now, this substation steps the power down, a.k.a. it turns the voltage down. And then the power gets sent to distribution lines and it is carried throughout the neighborhood. And I know that sounds complicated, but I have an image that shows this whole transmission process for all of you to look at. And it's super simple and puts everything into perspective. So you can just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com and click on today's episode, Electrical Grid Attacks. And there you go. It will show the image that is the electrical grid transmission. It's super simple. So basically, power gets made at a power plant makes electricity, gets sent to a transformer, increases the voltage, then it gets sent to these big-ass transmission lines, carried long distances, then it goes to a substation, which turns the voltage down, then it gets sent to those ugly-ass brown poles in your neighborhood that, that then delivers it to your homes. So there you go. That is how the whole entire thing works in a nutshell, and my class is over, so everybody get the fuck out. Thank you for that amazing electrical grid class. You're welcome. Okay, so that is the basics of the electrical grid. Now that you understand that, hopefully, let's quickly talk about the history of electrical grid attacks and then go into some of the attacks themselves. So, Aaron, would you like to start that off for us? Of course. So, electrical grid attacks have been happening for a very long time. For an example, back in the 1930s, at the start of World War II, a group of Air Force leaders and commanders they ended up coming together and began brainstorming about how they could win the war. They ended up coming to the conclusion of, hey, the true way to win a war is not by destroying the other country's field forces, such as like military people and tanks. Instead, you need to attack the morale and will of the country's citizens. That is how you win a war. So basically they're saying, don't attack the people that are fighting in the military. You got to attack the morale and the will of the citizens of that country. Kind of shitty, but. That is kind of shitty. Yeah. So how would the military attack the morale and the will of the other country's citizens? Well, these commanders stated that the quickest and most efficient way to do that is by, and we quote, paralyzing its economic structure and threatening its very existence through precision bombardment bombing of vulnerable points that directly affected the civilian population. So basically bombing vulnerable points in the city that would affect the civilians rather than the military. Pretty much. Now. You're probably wondering, what are these vulnerable points? Well, it was determined by these military leaders that the electrical grids were one of the top areas that were vulnerable. So by taking out electricity, it would disable transportation, you know, of trains, subways, streetlights, and even the air traffic control would be unable to operate. So the citizens would pretty much be stranded. Emergency services such as hospitals would be forced to use backup power and it would greatly delay police and fire departments' response times. Public utilities such as water, gas, and even sewer services would be interrupted, eventually leading to health problems, and then manufacturing of goods would come to a complete stop. Now, it was these areas that would be greatly affected by the electrical grid going out, which would destroy the morale of the citizens living there, and, to the commander's beliefs, would ultimately allow them to win the war. Now, due to this, 
the United States started strategically bombing electrical stations in Germany and Japan. After World War II, a report was released detailing the health effects in Japan due to electrical outages from the United States bombing the electrical stations. The report determined that their loss of power severely impacted the water pumping stations, and it made it so that civilians had issues getting water. Due to this, waterborne diseases greatly increased during this period and caused several epidemics in Japan. For an example, the town of Nagoya in particular was bombed in May of 1945. Only two months later, in July of 1945, all the way until October of that year, the town suffered from an outbreak of dysentery, typhoid, and paratyphoid. So following World War II, attacks on electrical grids became a common thing to do during wartime. In the Vietnam, Iraq War, and even right now in Ukraine, it is happening. However, there have been times where attacks on electrical grids have occurred, not due to war, but for some other nefarious reasons, and these attacks are rarely talked about or covered on the news. So now you know how the electrical grids work, when they started, and why people attack them, and what happens when they get attacked. I mean, I get it, but damn. So yeah, pretty much war is hell. And that's a quote from Anduin Rin. There you go. Nice. All right, so now we're going to go talk about these other attacks that have been occurring, or have occurred. So Aaron, would you like to start that off for us? Absolutely. So I know earlier I mentioned the 2013 attack, and we're going to go over that one right now. Because we dug super deep into it, and it is extremely weird. So back on April 16th, 2013, near the border of San Jose, California, multiple gunmen fired their rifles at an electrical transmission substation and took out 17 electrical transformers, which resulted in more than $15 million worth of equipment damage. Now, on the surface, it might just seem like they were just a few people messing around, you know, with their rifles and shooting stuff. However, when you look deeper into it, you realize that this attack was planned out and done by a trained team. So, like Aaron stated, it all started on the night of April 16th, 2013. At 12.58 a.m. on U.S. Route 101, just outside of South San Jose, California, AT&T fiber optic telecommunications cables were cut. Nine minutes later, at 1.07 a.m., Level 3 Communications, which is an internet service provider in the area, someone actually entered that company's vault and cut their telecommunications cables as well. Then 24 minutes later, at 1.31 a.m., at the Metcalf Electrical Substation, a surveillance camera that was pointed along a chain-link fence that surrounded the electrical station recorded a streak of light that officials believe was actually a flashlight turning on and off to give a signal to someone. A few moments after the light, the camera captured the muzzle flash of rifles, followed by sparks from bullets hitting the fence. Six minutes later, at 1.37 a.m., PG&E, who operated the Metcalf Electrical Substation, ended up receiving an alarm from motion sensors due to the bullets grazing the fence surrounding it. A few minutes later, at 1.41 a.m., an engineer at a nearby power plant heard the ongoing gunfire and decided to call 911, in which the local sheriff's department was notified and dispatched. Four minutes later, at 1.45 a.m., PG&E received another alarm from the substation, 
stating that transformers in that area had leaked over 52,000 gallons of oil and then overheated. These leaks were due to the amount of bullet holes that were in the transformers, but PG&E did not know that at the time. Five minutes later, at 1.50 a.m., the surveillance camera at the electrical substation captured another flash of light in what officials believe was again another flashlight turning on and off, giving a signal to someone that the attack was finished. One minute later at 1.51 a.m., the police arrived at the Metcalf Electrical Substation and tried to enter the substation. However, they were unable to get past the locked fence. The police then noted that the area was quiet, did not see anything suspicious, so they left. With the substation being down, PG&E decided to send an employee to check on it and see why it was down. During this period, the company had to pretty much avert a blackout since a lot of the transformers were down. So they rerouted power from nearby power plants. However, some nearby neighborhoods did temporarily lose power, but it wasn't for very long. A little while later at 3.15 a.m., a PG&E worker arrived at the substation to see why the alarms were going off and if the transformers did indeed leak over 50,000 gallons of oil. What the worker found shocked him. There were hundreds of bullet holes in various pieces of equipment at the substation. And of course, the police were again called back out. Now, as the police arrived, they said, oh, okay, we got to investigate this time because there was something suspicious going on. So they started to walk around the outside of the substation, and they ended up discovering more than 100 expended 7.62 ammo casings. Now, this type of ammunition was cheap at the time and could be commonly found at almost any store that sold ammunition, which made it almost impossible to find out who purchased it. To make matters even more difficult, it appeared like the ammo had been carefully handled by the shooters because there were no fingerprints or traceable markings on the shell casings or rounds themselves. Now, it is worth noting that officials that were investigating the shootings eventually did come out and state that maybe up to four guns were used in the shootings. However, they do know at least two guns were used for sure. So they pretty much said, hey, we know two guns for sure used. It might have been up to four, though, but we aren't certain. So this indicated that this attack was pretty much a effort between two or more people. Now, something else the investigators discovered is that the gunshots themselves had been centered around the coolant areas on the transformers, which seemed to have been intentionally targeted, causing the cooling oil to begin leaking, which would ultimately overheat the transformers until they crashed. This caused not only irreparable harm to the Transformers, but would also do so without attracting much attention. Now, if the gunmen had targeted different sections of the Transformers, the damage could have resulted in an extensive fire, which might have caused explosions. But since they targeted the coolant areas, allowed them to quietly leak until they permanently crashed. It was due to that reason that the investigators believed that the shooters had knowledge of the Transformers themselves, but also were pretty proficient in shooting. Also, it was discovered that the locations of the shooters had small piles of rocks, which officials stated was an indicator of the gunmen scouting the area beforehand and using the pile of rocks as a marker for their shooting location. So yeah, they would walk the location prior, and whenever they found a good area that they were going to be shooting from, they'd just stack up rocks there. Oh, so you could definitely tell this was planned. Oh, absolutely it was. So during this long investigation, PG&E and 
AT&T, they ended up going to the media and stating that the substation had been attacked and it sustained around $15 million in damages and that it took them weeks to replace the damaged parts. The companies also stated that they were offering a $250,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of the individuals who did this attack. A short time later, the former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, John Wellinghoff, went on television and stated that the military experts informed him that the attack looked like a professional job. John also stated that the attack was the most significant incident of domestic terrorism involving the United States electrical grid. Right after that, Henry Waxman, who was a ranking member of the United States House Committee on Energy, he ended up going on record stating that the attack was, and I quote, an unprecedented and sophisticated attack on an electrical grid substation with military-style weapons, basically alluding to the fact that it was done by military members or previous military members. Of course, the media ran wild with these quotes and started running with the theory that terrorists are attacking the United States electrical grids. However, the FBI came out and stated that they believe that the attack was not done by a terrorist organization. Now, even though the FBI had come out and stated that, they still had no clue who did the attack. Over a year later, in October of 2015, the Department of Homeland Security reported that it had found indications that the attack may have been committed by an insider. Whoever committed this crime seemed to have pretty detailed knowledge of the electrical system at the Metcalf substation, knowing where to go to cut the fiber cables and doing so without being seen. They carried out this attack and successfully covered their tracks. Other than the shell casings left behind at the crime scene, they seemed to have left behind no evidence of their physical presence. No boot prints were found around the substation, nor any tire tracks from a potential getaway vehicle. Security cameras were scanned for more than a mile in each direction around the substation, and we were unable to find any evidence of the attackers arriving or leaving. This lack of any evidence, paired with the culprit's knowledge of the substation systems and protocols, indicated not only an extreme level of preparation and planning, but intricate knowledge of the substation itself. It was apparent that whoever they were, they had carefully planned this operation to achieve an optimal level of service disruption, and then disappeared into the night less than a minute before the arrival of law enforcement, leaving behind virtually nothing for investigators to track them with. So that is what the Department of Homeland Security stated about this attack. Now, even though there was a quarter million dollar reward, to this day, the attackers have never been found. Even though the Homeland Security speculated that it was an insider, no arrests have been made, nothing. It is still a mystery. And that right there is our first electrical grid attack. But before we move on to our next one, we do have a few knowledge nuggets that we're going to talk about real quick. Now, when we were researching into this attack, we found out that roughly one month after this electrical attack happened at the Metcalf substation, on May 22nd, 2013, another bizarre incident ended up occurring that was reported to the local police. At around 3 a.m. on May 22nd, a man dressed in all black was spotted by a security guard stationed at the substation. The man was in an adjacent field, and when he was spotted by the security guard's flashlight, he began to run away towards the highway. The security guard called the police and eight deputies began to search the area. However, the man was never found. 
So yeah, that was reported, which is very odd. You just have this guy standing in the field and all black security guard sees you and then you just take off running. He's probably the one that did the shooting. He's probably looking at it like, yeah, I did that. A month later, he's like, damn it, they're back up again. So another thing that I wanted to mention real quick before we move on to our next attack is when we were looking this attack over, I thought to myself, why did we not hear about this? And there's a good reason why we didn't. So this attack happened on April 16th, 2013, right? But do you know what happened the day prior to this attack on April 15th, 2013? What was that? The Boston bombings. Of course, the media swarmed on the Boston bombings, and that's all they talked about nonstop for like weeks. So this electrical grid attack was pretty much ignored. Imagine the people who did it. They're like, oh, yeah, perfect opportunity for us to stay out of the media. Let's go attack the electrical grid station. That is true. They're not going to report on a substation being attacked when people got hurt. Yeah, when you got a freaking one of the most popular marathons in the world being bombed. Mm. You can't say bomb on a podcast. You can't say it on a plane. Bomb, 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 bomb. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. That's the 2013 attack. So let's get into the next one that we're going to talk about. Dan, you want to start it off for us? Our next attack on an electrical station happened in Pennsylvania in July of 2020. However, this would not be an attack that was successful, but it would become known as the first case of a modified unmanned aircraft system likely being used in the United States to specifically target energy infrastructures. So there was a power station in Pennsylvania, and they were doing their rounds, and they ended up finding a crashed drone, which was the DJI Mavic 2, I think. Yeah. And this drone, you know, it, 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 it wouldn't have been too odd finding one just like crashed on the ground, right? However, this one had been modified so that all of the identification of ownership was hidden. Uh, the drone also had a cord with a copper wire attached to it dangling from two four-foot-long nylon ropes. Now, initially, they were like, what the hell is this for? But after they looked into it, they were like, holy shit, what this drone was supposed to do is create a short circuit to cause damage to the transformers or distribution lines, you know, based on the design and recovery location. However, the attack never occurred because whoever was driving the drone screwed up and crashed it. So, yeah. You know what that reminds me of? When someone flew a drone into the White House yard and they crashed it and it, like, shut down the White House. You know what? Did I ever tell you about the FBI coming out to uh, where I used to work? I remember when you worked back in Texas or here in Texas, you called me up. I think it was probably happened that same day that you talked about a drone flying above the warehouse at the plant. Yeah, so this is your first time listening to the podcast. I used to work in the nuclear industry. I used to work at a nuclear power plant in Texas, and I used to work as a radiation protection tech, health physicist, slash whatever. And uh, I also used to be a qualified radioactive shipper, and I used to receive and ship off radioactive equipment. Well, there was a warehouse I would work out of, and we started noticing an increased level of drone activity. I'm talking like, you know, the DJI drones, the small ones. So our security ended up having to call a whole bunch of officials. And eventually one day, right outside of the warehouse, an area of the parking lot was kind of like posted off. And there was a tent put up and there was a bunch of black vehicles. And there was this guy with this giant mask on. 
So we go outside, start walking towards it, and then we stop. We're, I don't know, like 40 feet away from this tented area that's in the middle of a freaking parking lot. And the guys yell at us and tell us, go back inside. <laughs> like, dude, I'm just standing out in the parking lot. It was the FBI, and they had like way more sophisticated drones, and they were flying them up and scanning uh, the area around the power plant to see like what would be the locations where someone could fly a drone. Ah, that makes sense. But yeah, but they were a bunch of assholes. FBI is. Well, those individuals with the FBI were. They could have just been like, hey guys, can you step back please? We'd have been like, yeah, sure, not a problem. Instead they scream at us. I wanted to be like, you don't tell me what to do. It's a parking lot. Don't tell me how to live my life. I had a little baby drone that I used to have, like a little palm-sized drone. Oh yeah. And I crashed that son of a bitch so much and it still worked. I always wanted a drone, but don't you have to get those things, uh, or get like a permit for them now or something like that? You're supposed to. Okay, you're supposed to. Gotcha. Anyways, all right, so let's talk about our next electrical grid attack. Dan, do you want to tell us about it? Yeah. So the next electrical station attack that we're going to talk about occurred here recently on December 5th of 2022. Two electrical substations in North Carolina were attacked with gunfire, which caused them to shut down and then left around 50,000 individuals without power. Of course, local and federal authorities opened up an investigation, and they haven't said much about the matter, other than that there was an attack on the substations by a firearm that caused quite a bit of damage. And like Dan said, there's not much information out there because the authorities haven't really spoke about it. They're just investigating it. Huh. And as surprising as that is, this next attack that we're going to talk about happened only a few days ago, on Christmas Day to be exact. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. So four electrical substations in Washington state were attacked, which left over 14,000 individuals without power. The first substation to be attacked was in Spanaway, Washington which belonged to Tacoma Public Utilities. It was attacked at 5.30 a.m. on Christmas Day, which the Pierce County Sheriff's Department stated nothing was stolen, but equipment was vandalized, leading to outages in the area. Then another Tacoma Public Utility electrical substation was also vandalized nearby. Now, when I say vandalized, I automatically think of someone tagging it with graffiti, but that's not the case. Vandalization could also mean that, hey, Somebody shot it with a gun. When I hear the word vandalized, I think of someone with a baseball bat just beating the shit out of something. <laughs> Somebody running up to electrical substation. You piece of shit! That's exactly what I think. Yeah, so this one was shot at sometime between 2.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And, of course, the police were notified. 
Now, when the police arrived to the PSE substation, they found, and we quote, the fence area was broken into and the equipment was vandalized. Then later Christmas Day, sometime before 7.30 p.m., a fourth substation operated by PSE reported a fire. The emergency response crew with firefighters were dispatched to the substation where they extinguished the fire and the substation was declared secured. Police said that the suspects gained access to the fenced area and vandalized the equipment, which then caused the fire. So no suspects have been identified in these attacks, and they don't know if these substations were attacked all by the same group or the same individuals. Now, there was a statement that was made by the Pierce County police sergeant in which he stated, and we quote, There's a good possibility they are related. We are going to be investigating to see if this was coordinated by a specific group or people. But at this time, all we know is that we have burglaries where the power was purposefully knocked out. And that's all he stated. So when he says burglaries, that usually means something was stolen, right? Uh, yeah, they stole something. I wonder if it's copper. I wonder if you can get copper from... Uh... Oh, you probably get a shit ton of copper probably from that stuff. I'd be afraid to, of getting electrocuted, man. I don't mess with electricity. I don't like messing with it either. But I do dabble in it, but I don't like it. What do you mean you dabble in it? Regular house maintenance. I thought you meant like you went and built. Oh, yeah, I just built this little transformer over here. No big deal. I just dabble in it. <laughs> don't walk into my closet. I got the Montauk chair in there. I thought you... You know that guy <laughs> on YouTube who messes with the electricity and... Always shocks himself? <laughs> That's oh what I God. pictured you did when you say you dabble in it. Yeah, just dabble in it. The last time I got electrocuted by messing with wires and shit, I won't do that shit again. Like, it was not a good feeling. Have you ever been tased? No. I've been tased twice in my life. I almost got tased. How? My ex had a taser and... Things got kinky and out of control? Tase me, daddy. No, she... I didn't know she had it and, like, she was just playing around with it. She's just like, hey, guess what I got? I was like, I don't know. And, like, she pulled it out and, like, she put it, like, right near my arm. And I'm just like, the hell is that? That's how I got tased. An old boss of mine brought a taser to work. Now, this wasn't at the power plant. This was at a grocery store. He decided it would be funny to put the taser near me and push the button because I didn't like the noise. So when he put it near me, my hand went out to block it. And you know that meat in between your, like, thumb and your pointer finger, that webbing? Yeah. The prongs went in between that, and he pushed the button, and it shocked me there. Of course, I hit the ground like a sack of potatoes. And then later on, he was playing around, and he reached over the counter at the grocery store and decided to stick it near my ass, in which I accidentally moved, and he pressed the button and uh, tased my ass. And, of course, I locked up and fell to the ground. <sighs> yeah. Thank you, Daniel Turner, if you're out there. Yeah, not this Daniel. Different Daniel. My manager, Daniel at the time. Anyway, so there you go. That right there are some electrical grid attacks, which honestly, when you think about it, it's kind of scary considering the, you know, the most recent one happened only a few days ago. And I mean, I heard about it a little bit on the news, but not a whole lot. No, there's really not much on the news about it. Now, of course, our story and investigation into these does not stop here because now we're going to talk about some of the strange facts and findings that we came across when researching these attacks. So Dan, why don't you tell us about our first strange fact and finding? So our first strange fact and finding that we're going to talk about is about the number of power grid attacks that have occurred since 2013. Now, if you go to the energy.gov website, 
They have a chart that shows the number of substations that have been physically attacked, sabotaged, or vandalized. And just looking at the chart and seeing the number of substations that get messed up every year is actually quite insane, which we will have an image of that posted on the website so you're able to see it. But just look at the number of attacks in 2013 and how it kind of dropped off, but then more recent years, it started to go back up again. So in 2013, there were 68 attacks on substations. 2014, 44. 2015, 40. 2016, 48. 2017, 37. In 2018, 45. Now this is where it goes right back up. 2019, 64. 2020, 62. 2021, 60. And this year, 70. New record. <laughs> Boom. New high score. Man, I had no clue these attacks were happening. No, like you don't hear about this stuff. And I mean, granted, like I'm pretty sure we have a shit ton more substations in the United States, but this is still a high number of stations being attacked. Yeah. And the only time you really hear about these attacks taking place is them not taking place, if that makes sense. Like, for an example, this next strange fact and finding is a perfect example of that. So the FBI actually went on Twitter and made a post back in February of this year. And the post said the following. Three men pled guilty to conspiring to provide material support to a plot to attack electrical power grids in the United States. Something else that the FBI posted on Twitter was a photo that said, and we quote, The defendants in this case wanted to attack regional power substations and expected that the damage would lead to economic distress and civil unrest. These individuals wanted to carry out such a plot because of their adherence to racially motivated violent extremist views. When individuals move from adopting particular views to planning or committing acts of violence, the FBI will investigate and take action to stop their plans. We will continue to work with our law enforcement partners to protect our communities. So that is what the FBI posted on Twitter. And we will post a link on our website that they provided, which takes you to justice.gov website, and it pretty much talks about what they just said about the whole arrest and all that. And um, yeah, it just talks about the individuals and how they pleaded guilty and how they were wanting to attack power grids because they were part of a white supremacist group and they wanted to cause division in the community. Oh, man, why would they want to do that? Like, why not just chill, man? Why, why do you have to be racist? I don't understand that. Of course, I'm, I'm white. I've never experienced racism. But I have a mixed son who has dealt with it before. And I don't know how to, I don't know what to do, like in certain situations. I don't know what to give him for advice. So there was a guy that I used to work with named Mike Smith at the old power plant that I used to work at. And uh, he was an individual who dealt with racism. And I actually, like, spoke with him quite a bit and, like, asked him, and asked him, like, hey, uh, got any advice? Like, this is what my son's dealing with. I, like, what do I say to him? I don't, I don't know. I've never dealt with this. And he kind of, like, helped me out and talked to, talked to me about it. So shout out to you, Mike. Dude, Mike's an awesome guy. Yeah, he is. All right. Anyways, uh, so let's get on to our next strange fact and finding. Why don't you tell us about it, Dan? Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one, so we'll be right back. So don't go nowhere. All right. Welcome back. All right. So our next strange fact and finding is about the National Research Council. So in 2012, the National Research Council of the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine published a declassified report that was prepared in 2007 
for the United States Department of Homeland Security. This report stated that the United States National Electrical Grid is vulnerable if someone damaged high-voltage transformers. If this damage occurred, it has the potential for a massive nationwide electrical blackout. So they knew that these substations were vulnerable to attacks like that back in 2007, at least. Oh, yeah. And I have an entire theory as to why they didn't do anything about it. But I'll save that for theories, which we're about to talk about here in a minute. But before we do, let's go into our last strange fact and finding. So our last strange fact and finding involves Ukraine. So in 2015, the first electrical power outage caused by a cyber attack actually occurred in Ukraine. Now, this cyber attack ended up causing an outage for more than 230,000 residents and ended up lasting up to six hours in some areas. Now, these attackers not only took out the electricity, but they also flooded the customer service phone lines, preventing customers from reporting the outages. So they were like, hey, you're not going to report them either. Damn. Yeah. And then a year later, a second power outage was caused again by a cyber attack. And this, of course, occurred in Ukraine. And it was done by a Russian hacker group called Sandworm. I want to say that I saw reports of it, but I don't know how true it is that it's supposedly happening again right now in Ukraine. I mean, it would make sense because when is the first time these uh, electrical grid attacks happened? They happened in World War II, right? And since then, they've been happening in all the other wars. So the war between Russia and Ukraine, it makes sense that, you know, the electrical substations were being attacked. Very true. Now, people were reporting that there were troops attacking the nuclear plant in Ukraine, but that's not true. They weren't attacking the plant itself. They were attacking the employees because they then ended up taking over the nuclear plant and diverting the power. Oh, yeah, I remember reading that as well. Which instead of like going and bombing the power plant, you know, and causing horrible damages, they're like, hey, we're just going to kill all the security guards there and take it over and shut off the power. That's the safe way to do it's it. It's still a horrible thing to do. Horrible. Anyways, all right, so let's get into theories as to why this is occurring all around the United States. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about this first theory? Of course. So the first theory we have is called cover-up. This theory is that these attacks on substations are being done as a way to get the attention of high-up officials off of another thing that is happening. Sort of like the wag the dog, but it's being done to FBI investigators or other local officials. Meanwhile, these criminals are getting away with some other crime in the area like trafficking drugs or something, you know, similar. Like trafficking humans. Exactly. I mean, I could kind of see that. What are they covering up exactly? I, I don't know. That would be a good question. What are they covering up? Now, there is a theory that it could be other governments that are doing it. So this theory is that there is another government that is purposely supplying independent militias with equipment to take out these substations as a way to cause the civilians of the country to have low morale and pretty much not support local and federal officials, like putting the blame of their electricity being out on them. And it basically destroys the country from the inside, piss off its citizens, and then they get pissed at the politicians thinking it's their fault that their power is out. When in reality, this other country is secretly providing these militias with weapons to take out these substations. I could see that. Could you think about it? The, I won't say the chain of command, but the supply chain. Civilians are the ones that make a lot of the stuff that are then provided to, like, the militaries and stuff like that. 
another country takes out the electrical grid. Civilians go into distress. Factories get shut down and all that. Pretty much supply chain starts is cut off. I mean, I could see it. It's a, I mean, they did it in the other world, uh, world wars and all that stuff. You know, go for the electrical grids, low morale, cuts off supply chain. Manufacturers don't make anything. Makes sense. It does. Now tell us about this other theory, Dan. All right. So this theory is that these attacks occurring are happening on purpose to test the response time of electrical companies. Some group could be the government is testing the response time of electrical companies to see how fast they can get the grid back up and running. Just looking at the number of electrical grids being attacked and nothing has really been done about it. Like security hasn't been improved and whatnot. So like you just look at it. In the fact, in 2013, it was 68 power grids attacked. Now it's 2022 and it's back up to 70. And the year's still not, you know, completely over. You think there would be a better way for them to test that though, rather than just, you know, going in and sabotaging electrical grids? Well, that's just like, I believe it was like the government or just high up companies. They would hire hackers to try and hack their, you know, system to find any holes and stuff in it. Yeah, but that's vulnerabilities, though. That's not completely destroying their way. They won't go in and destroy the website completely. They'll say, hey, you got this vulnerability inside your website. Now give us the money, the reward. Instead, these people are going inside there. And instead of saying, hey, you got this vulnerability, I could have shot the substation. They're saying, no, look, I shoot the substation, then I'm going to hide. Nothing you could do about it. We're going to be doing it all day. It would make sense if they, you know, sent in a team that could see if they could infiltrate it and then report back rather than intentionally destroying it. I mean, that could be these December ones because they didn't specify how they vandalize because you can go in there. You can rip wires out. You just go in there and mess with the system, hit a bunch of random keys, probably. and just pretty much just off the power grid. Start slapping your hands on. What do these buttons do? (laughs) Yeah, like they didn't specify how it's vandalized. I mean, like you think about it, I, how I said it earlier, they could have been going in there with a baseball bat just hitting random shit. You know, they could have used guns shooting at the stuff. We don't know exactly. It is on Christmas Day, the Madden servers were down. So some kid got pissed. We're like, hey, Madden servers are down. I'm going to go fix those freaking servers. And he goes to the electrical substation, not knowing, hey, it's an electrical substation and not EA servers, and goes and destroys them. All right. You would rub salt on the wound. Thank you for that. That pissed me off so bad. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, okay, all right. So this next theory that we're going to talk about is called corporation. So this theory is that these electrical grid attacks are being done on purpose, but they're being done by its owners, a.k.a. corporations. Now, let me explain this theory and why these corporations would do this. So let's say the government is telling these corporations that own these substations hey, we want you to upgrade these substations and make them more secure. Of course, the corporations want to make the most money, so they build these substations with the least amount of materials and personnel. So, you know, they don't have to spend as much money. With the government coming in and telling them, hey, you need to upgrade them so that they're more secure, it pretty much cuts into these corporations' profits. Now, these corporations ask the government, hey, Since you want us to upgrade these substations, why don't you give us grants to help us pay for these electrical substations upgrades so that they're more secure? The government turns to them and says, no, we're not going to do that. So these corporations, instead of, you know, losing money and paying for it, they instead hire people to attack their own substations. That way, the government is like, oh, 
your substations getting attacked and the corporations are like, well, there's nothing we can do. We don't have the money to afford it. You didn't grant it to us. And the people are like, well, why isn't the government putting money into it? Basically forcing the government into investing money into them so that they become more secure so that the corporations pretty much save money and get their substation upgraded without having them, you know, spending money. Basically forcing the government's hand. I mean, I could see that because while researching this, I did stumble upon like some grants and stuff that the government does provide to these utility companies. They have like a transmission facilitation program that gives them a grant of $2.5 billion. Then you have the expansion of the smart grid investment grant program, which is $3 billion. $10 billion in grants for states, tribes, and utilities to enhance grid resilience, prevent power outages. Why can't we get a grant for something? All these companies get grants, man. That's not fair. You, you look at the friggin' airlines, right? They got what? A $2.8 billion bailout or $3 billion or however much billion of dollar bailout. And then just a few days ago, Southwest has like over 67% of its flights canceled, which is stupid because the other airlines, the most they had was like 3 to 4%. Southwest had like over 60%. They're being investigated, by the way, now for that. But anyways, that's beside it. Yes, I can see. You know, corporations, they're greedy. They you are. Know, you never trust them. And you know what I say? F*** them. F*** them. Anyway. All right, Dan, tell us about this last theory, which is probably the most popular theory regarding these electrical grid attacks. Yeah. So this next theory is that the extremists are the ones causing these damages to electrical grids. Their main reasoning is to cause civil unrest between the people, and some say that it is to divide the people, since they are extremists. Now. Like we said earlier, the three men that pleaded guilty earlier, supposedly the FBI says that they're part of an extremist group and that their goal is to damage these electrical grids, to cause civil unrest, to cause a divide in people. I get it, but then again, I don't. Oh. So part of me thinks, well, I guess this is where we move into personal thoughts and what we think, right? Yeah. Part of me personally thinks there are a few groups out there that, that have done these attacks. But most of these attacks are not done by them. So I have a theory behind this entire thing. You ready for it? I'm ready for it. All right. So for my theory, I thought of two things, Dan. I thought maybe it was an eco-terrorist group, you know, trying to push some type of motive so that, you know, other companies see it and they get scared. You know, because there are there's a lot of groups out there that is like, hey, you know, save the earth, quit freaking polluting it. And then you get these electrical grids, and maybe it was some eco-terrorist group. However, a main reason I don't think this act was perpetrated by some random eco-terrorist group is that majority of these operations showed signs of, you know, military knowledge. Whoever carried out these attacks, specifically the 2013 Metcalf one, knew what they were doing. They knew not only where to shoot at, on the Transformers to permanently damage them without causing a scene, and they were able to carry out this entire operation in less than an hour without being seen. Now, this indicates a significant amount of planning, and I just don't see that happening without some kind of military training on behalf of this attack's organizer. So I started digging into groups and who could possibly do this, and upon my research, I came across some online forums and I found a few people stating these attacks could have been done 
by a group named Red Cell. Have you heard of Red Cell before? I don't think I have. I have never heard of them before either. So I started to look into them. Now, Red Cell is a nickname for the United States' government's National Security Coordination Team, and they are occasionally brought in to test American tactics and personnel, often in extreme ways. For an example, Red Cell would often test vulnerabilities of military bases and other government institutions by conducting extreme tests, such as attempting to steal government secrets, perform abductions, and sneak into highly secure areas. At one point, Red Cell even planted a bomb near Air Force One. The purpose of Red Cell is to test the security of America's institution to fix and patch flaws so that repeated attempts would be impossible to do. I personally think it's them. And they just say, hey, Nobody's fixing these substations. We're going to go around and attack all of them. Yeah. It does make sense. I mean, it's hard to go against that because, I mean, I kind of lean in that direction that they're being tested on this. Let me be clear. I don't think all of these attacks are being done by them. I think majority are, but I do think there's a couple that are done by an extremist group. And that's where this red cell, they go and test the vulnerability, and then all of a sudden a copycat tries to come, and these copycats get sniffed out. For an example, those three individuals. I just want to state that, but that right there is my theory, okay? Okay. So, yeah, I'm kind of on par with that. You know, I believe that they're being tested in most of these cases. Some of them, not really. I feel like the ones in December here are just people pretty much f***ing around. hate to say it. Christmas Day, I don't know. Like, depending if they did shoot, I hate to say it. Sometimes people get guns on Christmas, get surprised or something like that, and they decide to go out and have fun with it. I shot a water tower before. See? I Wait, hold on. Let me take that back. I may or may not have shot a water tower with my twenty two when I was like, not with my twenty two, with a BB gun. No, a pellet gun. Never mind. Just take that away. I never did that. You criminal. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. But, I mean, so you get what I'm saying. Is, you know, people get a gun or something like that, and they want to sh- go shoot at something. Shit, where I lived, stop signs were a number one target. I don't know why people driving up with their shotguns shoot the freaking stop sign. And every time I see a stop sign, you can see all the uh, pellets hitting it. Anarchy, we ain't stopping for no damn stop signs. I mean, they should. It was a T intersection. If not, they go right into the woods. So, Ooh, that's dangerous. But yeah, so I think the ones in December, not saying that it was gunfire, because I think it was the North Carolina one that there were gunshots. But the one in Washington, they just say vandalized, and it started a fire. So, Well, the term vandalized, we found out, could be used also for gunfire as well, right? Yeah. But they didn't specifically say that it was gunfire for the Washington ones. Correct. All right. So, yeah, glad we're on the same page about this. Yeah, I mean, then again, though, corporations, they are greedy. Hey, they could have hired these people to do this shit. Red Cell? Yeah. Well, the Red Cell reports to the government. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like some people, money talks. Bullshit walks, baby. That's right. All right. Well, if you or a loved one have attacked an electrical power grid in the United States, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. And uh, don't do it again, okay? And actually, don't send us an email. We don't want to learn about that. No, because then we'd be uh, part of uh, conspiring. 
Yeah, don't tell us about that. We don't want to know. Okay? If you or a loved one have a theory as in who did these attacks, send us an email. We'd love to hear your theory about who did it. Hell yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else to add to today's episode, Dan? I do not. I'm tired. Yeah, you're (laughs) sick. Sick. All right. Well, that being said, uh, that is the end of today's episode, The Electrical Grid Attacks. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Now we are going to move to On the Scene. Now, if you don't know what our On the Scene is, it's where individuals all around the world go and interview random individuals, or they could give their own personal opinions about current conspiracies or just their personal thoughts about conspiracies or their theories regarding them. Now, anyone can do this meaning you, yes, you, the person listening to this right now can do this. All you got to do is get your phone, press record, record it for two minutes, and then email that recording to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, or Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. Just please make sure that there is no music, there are no loud noises, and that your audio is decent quality. Don't record it while driving down the road either, okay? Because the sound is pretty bad. And uh, no music in the background either because we can't play it if there's music. We'll get copyrighted. Anyways, so for this week's On the Scene, we have Paige, and we're going to listen to that right now. Hey guys, this is Paige from Oregon, On the Scene once more. I actually just got done listening to your Balenciaga episode where you did my previous On the Scene so that was really cool. Thank you guys for reviewing that. Uh, my on the scene today is going to be a little bit different. It's just me, and I'm going to be telling a little bit of a story. I promise I'll keep it under two minutes. And then I'm going to end it by asking you guys a couple of questions. So you guys are going to be kind of my on the scene subject for today. So when I was about five years old, it was Christmas Eve, and I'm asleep in bed. And I'm having this dream that I'm in some kind of an alien UFO laboratory type of a deal. And there's this big tank. It's like a big cylinder like aquarium type of vertical cylinder type of deal and there's water in it and it's bubbling and there's these alien heads that are floating in it now they're not all severed and grotesque and whatnot but they're floating and the tank is just thin enough that the alien heads are in a single file vertical line and the heads are in a pattern of green head purple head green head so on So I wake up next morning for Christmas. I go out to my stocking and I'm looking through it. Uh, This was my stocking that was supposedly from Santa Claus, who we all know is actually Bigfoot. And one of the first things I pull out is this little toy flashlight. Now the handle of the flashlight was this clear plastic and it had some water in it or whatever with some glitter. And it had these little rubber, rubber green and purple alien heads. The same way that I saw in my dream. Now, you could be thinking, oh, maybe he saw that toy at the store or something and his mom or Bigfoot Claws just happened to get it for him. I swear to you that I had never seen this thing before that, before I had this dream. So my question to you guys is, have you ever had some kind of a premonition in a dream or otherwise? See you guys next time. Love you and I'm proud of you. Goddamn, Paige. You know what? I'm doing it. I'm giving him the title of Best Audio so far for on the scene that was very good audio very good Paige. i'm proud of you you should have seen aaron over there he was like hopping up and down just like yes i was like fuck yeah no uh but yes Paige, thank you for having such excellent audio quality 
I want everyone to listen to that and take notice. He stepped it up to the next level, okay? You can't just go to a convenience store with a forklift in the background and a jackhammer going on and you breathing into your phone, recording it, and then hopping in your truck going 80 miles an hour down the road with your windows down with Taylor Swift blasting. We can't play that. Instead, Paige took two minutes out of his day and recorded this in a nice sound-controlled area. And I'm proud of you for it, Paige. And it sounded like you also put some, like, noise reduction and maybe, like, an auto gate or something on it as well. Maybe a little EQ rolled off the lows. Maybe kept them. I don't know. Sounded good. Sounded good. Yeah. Anyways, so let's talk about his premonition. That is weird. Have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, would that be like a case of deja vu? Almost. Uh, did you dream about it and then it happened? I mean, could have been a dream or... You see something, like, say in The Matrix, when he's walking, he sees the black cat. Then he sees it again. Like, you had that scenario happen, but you don't know where it happened, but you recognize that it has happened. Yeah, like, for an example, I moved into my new house. I was sitting down taking a shit, and I'd never been in that house before in my life. And I sat there, and I have a deja vu, and I'm like, I have been in this exact moment before, but I don't know when, and I think it might have been in a dream but I'm not 100% sure, which made me want to start writing down my dreams so that when that occurs again, I can look through my dream book and say, yeah, I dreamt about it at this point in my life. But I've had that happen to me multiple times where I sit there and I'm like, I've never been at this location before in my life, but I have, if that makes sense. Like I dreamt about it or something. See, that's where I think that dreams are connected to like different timelines of ourselves. So our other selves in a different timeline has experienced that and dreams connect us to that. And not all timelines are exactly the same. There are different variations. But say in the other timeline, you moved into that house and you took a shit. Connecting through the dream, now you're taking a shit and you're just like, this is very familiar. Like, I feel like I've done this before. Okay. I personally believe that time is not linear like we think it is. Everything has happened already. But we're experiencing it in a linear fashion. And when we pass away from our flesh is when time ceases to exist and it all becomes one. So that is why we have deja vu is because it's already happened. I've already died in the future, but I'm currently living out my life right now. But I do think that even though this stuff's already happened in the future, it doesn't mean that I have a predetermined destiny or just one predetermined destiny. I have multiple different destinies that can be changed or altered depending on my actions currently. So let's say if I decide to get up right now and throw this recording across the room, which I would not do because I don't want to record it again, <laughs> that would split off and I would go into an alternate timeline, but I wouldn't be aware of it. That is why there are multiple different timelines, aka sort of like a, uh, what is it called? Like a multiverse. Kinda. But it's different timelines that have already occurred. So every single possible outcome has already happened. So pretty much the paths are already laid out, but your actions determine which path you take. Exactly. It's like a gigantic train track, right? And there's just trillions and zillions of different train tracks. And whenever you do something, boop, your train gets moved to a different track. I like that. Like if I decide to go and rob a grocery store, which I would never do, okay, because I've had that happen to me before. I've been robbed at a grocery store. 
uh, my path would then go bloop, get moved over, and I would go down the path of where I go into prison for like 20 years for armed robbery, which would suck. Yeah. So that's why I'd never do it. But there you go. That's my belief. And that's why you have deja vu is because you've already experienced everything there is to experience. And occasionally you'll have these bleed overs from different train tracks, a.k.a. different timelines. And I hate saying timelines because it's not really when you say timelines, it's like a you think of like a, a something going along, but it's already happened. So it's already predetermined. So there you go. That's my belief. I like that. And like only reason I can't fully go with my dream thing is because that damn dream I had with the aliens and shit. We're turning that into a book. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think that happened. I hope that didn't happen because that'd be weird. <laughs> well, everything that can happen is going to happen and has already happened. So, yeah, in some other time, it's happened. Mind blown. Yeah. Anyways, so there you go, Paige. Uh, thank you for your on the scene this week. Excellent audio. Uh, excellent, you know, questions. I love that on the scene. Thank you. Yes, thank you for that. I hope you had a good Christmas. All right, so now we're going to move to birthday shout-outs. All right, Dan, you want to start off our birthday shout-outs this week? So our first birthday shout-out goes to Jason Simpson. His birthday is 1231, so happy birthday, Jason. Nice. Happy birthday, Jason. All right, I want to give a birthday shout-out to Brad. His birthday was on 1223, and it's from his wife, Keely. She says, hey, Brad, I love you, you big old sexy man. She didn't say big old. She just said, hey, I love you, you sexy man, you hairy beast. Yeah, go buy your tractor and your lawnmower that you want to buy. Happy birthday. So there you go, Brad. Happy birthday, dude. Dude, that is a happy birthday. Nice. So next birthday shout-out goes to Preston. His birthday was on the 23rd of December, and he requests that I sing them happy birthday, and Aaron does his Randy Savage impression. You yes, sing it in force, Dan. You. Happy birthday to you. Birthday. Birthday. Happy birthday, Preston. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Preston. Yeah, brother. Happy birthday. Yeah. Nice. Happy birthday, Preston. You. Happy birthday. All right. So our next birthday shout out goes to Jenny. Her birthday was on 1214. A little late, but better than never. So happy birthday, Jenny. I hope it was a good one. Love you. Proud of you. Happy birthday, Jenny. All right, next shout-out goes to Kyle Bigwater. His birthday was on 12-23, so happy birthday to Kyle. Happy birthday, Bigwater. I like that. Ooh, Bigwater. All right, so the next birthday shout-out we got goes to Nikki. Her birthday is on 12-28. Happy birthday, Nikki. I hope it is a good one. Yes, happy birthday, Nikki. All right, the next birthday shout-out goes to Laura Glover. Her birthday is December 29th. And she wants a birthday shout-out in Sesame Street style. Laura Glover, it's your birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Laura Glover. Happy birthday, Laura. All right. So our next birthday shout-out goes to Logan Haynes. His birthday is on 1230. And he would like a birthday shout-out in Marilyn Monroe style, sung by Dan with Aaron as the background vocals. The Marilyn Monroe style is the happy birthday, Mr. President. All right. So, happy birthday, Logan. Happy birthday, bitch. Yeah, that's all I'm doing for that one. Nice. <laughs> happy birthday, Logan. Happy birthday, Logan. All right. The next birthday shout-out goes to Jalen. Birthday is on December 31st. 
and they requested a birthday shout out sung by me in Bee Gees voice. All right, let's see here. Ooh, 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 ooh. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Jalen. Happy birthday. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's just terrible. Sorry, Jalen. No. Nice. But happy birthday, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Happy birthday. All right, so our next birthday shout out is for Dan. They didn't specify a last name, but it's not you, Dan. No. Uh, January 2nd. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, other Dan. Nice. All right. Another birthday shout out goes to Ash to Ashes, whose birthday was on December 11th that I had missed two weeks in a row. So happy birthday to Ash to Ashes. Thanks, Tosh, for reminding me. The Flaming Aussie. Nice. All right. So my next birthday shout out goes to Mrs. Carter, Brandy Carter. I said, where you been? It's her birthday on January 6th. Happy birthday, Brandy. Happy birthday, Brandy. Pow, 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 pow. We're going to be getting in contact with you probably soon, though. What your husband does, we've been delving into quite a bit. Yeah. We've been in the market for something. <laughs> yeah. So happy birthday, Brandy. Hope it's a good one. Miss Carter. Miss Carter. I said, where you been? We been. <laughs> All right. So the next birthday shout out we have is to our Main man, Slickers. Slickers, daddy, what up, dog? And he requested Kiss You All Over by Happy Gilmore. He wants me to sing part of it and Aaron to sing part of it. You ready, Aaron? All right, here we go. Here we go. <coughs> I'm sick, so hopefully this still comes out. I want to kiss you all over and over and again. I want to kiss you all over. Down, down. Till the night closes in. Until the night closes in. Well, there you go, Slickers. You finally got that. I know you've been asking for like two years now for that. <laughs> Happy birthday, Slickers. Love you. Proud Happy of you. Happy birthday, Slickers. All right. So, our last birthday shout out goes to Patrick, aka Trucio. He's one of our editors. Shout out to him. His birthday's today, which we're recording this 1228. Happy birthday. Hope it's a good one. Love you. Proud of you. Happy birthday, Patrick. You, you. Nice. So the next shout out we have is a Christmas shout out slash anniversary to Dan and his fiance. I believe their anniversary is January 8th. Nice. So congrats. That's awesome. Congrats on being married. <laughs> All right. So our last shout out is an anniversary shout out to Jessica. Their anniversary is on December 31st, and it has been 22 years. Good Lord. Hell yeah. How do you deal with someone that long? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hey, more power to you. Proud of y'all. Congratulations. Here's to another 22 years. Hell yeah. Congrats. All right. So that's the end of our shout outs. And let's see. Do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we roll it out, Dan? I just, again, apologize. I am sick, so hopefully the audio is not too bad from my end. So, yeah. I sigh. I sigh. Please forgive him. I tried to commit seppuku, but Aaron stopped me. I was like, all right, fine. Yeah. So, with that being said, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So, with that being said, Dan, instead of performing seppuku, do you want to roll us out? Sure. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.
So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.